Hot Tubby always is always talking about. Um, and so, obviously, we're not doing it regular. I would normally do it. So there is a plate at the back. So if you guys are led to do that, you can do that. Or if you're streaming online, you can send your offerings to PO Box 505. I said it right. Woohoo! Um, 505. All right, so um, <clears throat> this morning we're going to be taking a break from uh, the Psalms, and we're going to be going to the New Testament. Um, I want to say about six, is it the six or seven years ago we moved here? Seven years ago? So about seven years ago, we moved from Chicago uh, here back to my homeland of Big Sandy, Montana, and uh, there was... I don't know, there's like a difference between living in the city and living in a small town. There's like a constant tension in a city where you're always busy and you always have to be active and thinking and going and moving and moving and moving. You know what I'm saying? And, and so, like, I remember the first couple weeks I was back in Big Sandy. I was raised here, right? And I lived here, I've lived here most of my life. Um, I still felt that friction of living in a city. I was thinking a lot. I was distracted a lot. And the first person I had to work with was Terry, and he's not in here, but I used to work with him at the center when I first moved back here. I cleaned with him and did maintenance things, and Terry really got me readjusted back to the small-town life, because I don't know if you guys know this about Terry, but he's a pretty laid-back, go-with-the-flow individual, right? And so we would be, like, working, and I'd be like, and he'd be like, slow down, man. Right? And so this morning, I'm going to do the same thing Terry did to me, to you, and I'm going to request that, like living in a city, sometimes our brains are constantly moving and thinking and distracted by the things going on around us, and we're so distracted we can't focus on what we're doing right now. And so what I'm doing is, is inviting you into small town church here, present, now, to focus on God's word this morning. That's what I want to invite you guys to do because we easily get distracted, right? I do it all the time. You're sitting there, got to prepare this for lunch, I got to fix this, this is leaking, this is broken, fires, oh my, COVID, all this stuff. Let's set all that aside and walk into a letter that Paul wrote to the church of the Galatians and let's hear what God has for us this morning, all right? I just want to invite you guys to do that. Get your heads out of the city. And I'm mostly saying that to myself more than I am to you guys. And let's slow down and consider what God has for us this morning. What I'm going to do is is I'm going to read the passage I'm going to be focusing on. And I'm going to pray and then we'll just kind of dive in. I'm in Galatians chapter 2. And I'll just read the whole thing. And actually you can, I'm going to be, anyways, all right, I'll just read the whole thing. Here we go. (laughs) Starting in verse 15 of Galatians chapter 2, it says this. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But... 
If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners in Christ, then a ser- or, sorry, <clears throat> is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you are a God who knows our hearts, knows um, where we're at, and, and that you give us your word that we might know you and understand you more. And I pray that all the hearts and the ears in this room would be attentive to what you have to say to us. Use me to um, uh, articulate well what Paul is saying here so that we can be encouraged in the good news of the gospel. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Um, <clears throat> In August, so in a couple weeks, me and my wife are going to celebrate 10 years of marriage. We reached the Big Ten. Whoop, whoop. We did it. That poor girl stuck with me for this long. It's a miracle within itself. All right? Um, and when I first got married, if we go back to Chicago, right, um, we, were, we were living in what I describe as an old angry Italian's basement, because that's quite literally what it was. There was this little tiny apartment in this guy's basement. And there was a stairwell that led to a wall, right, in the house. Because it used to just be the basement of their house and they turned it into an apartment. I don't think it was legal. But that was our first place where we lived when we got married. And so when I first got married, I knew that I was married, right, in my head. I'm married now. I'm no longer this single guy, but I'm married. I'm in this covenant relationship with my wife. But I didn't always live like that. This is what I mean by it. Um, We'd be watching TV on the couch. Our first couch was this weird rickety thing that had like a dial pad on it because you used to be able to plug it into the wall and make speakerphone calls. Old ghetto couch. And so I would get up from the couch, and the whole couch would flobble a little bit. And I would go to the kitchen, and I'd get myself a snack or pour myself a drink, and then I would come back and sit down. And what would my wife say? Exactly. Where's my drink? Why didn't you think of me? So what I was doing was, is I knew that I was married, but I wasn't living like I was married, right? And so this morning, we're going to be jumping in to this text, and I know I, I just read the whole thing, you guys, it's, it's dense. There's a lot going on in this first part of Galatians. Um, next slide. I don't, the iPad didn't charge, so I don't have a way to do the swipey swipe. Thank you. So the book of Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul. Um, And essentially what Paul was doing was, this is considered he was probably pretty young and he was pretty vibrant and passionate. And he's writing this letter to the Galatians because the Galatians were essentially wandering away from the truth of the gospel in favor of something different. Something that wasn't the gospel, right? And so he writes this letter And the particular passage we're going to be looking at is what uh, most scholars would say is like the thesis statement of the whole book of Galatians. Or like the primary passage, the the introduction passage to what he's going to say through the rest of Galatians. And so we're going to look at it this morning. 
And um, like I said, there's a lot in this passage. And in order for us to understand it, we have to go back to the previous section real quick. In the previous section, Paul's talking to this church, writing in the letter, and he goes, I had to confront Peter for something. And he tells the story of how he confronted Peter. And what had happened is, is essentially Peter, an apostle, was acting in a way that was anti-gospel in the sense where he would, uh, he sat and ate with the, the Gentile believers because the church of Galatia was mostly full of Gentiles. And if you don't know what a Gentile is, a Gentile is anyone who isn't a Jew. So like if you're not of any Jewish, you're, you're Gentile just like me, right? And so Peter would sit and eat and fellowship with these believers but then these Jewish believers came, these Jewish Christians came to visit this church, and his tune changed. He started acting different. He started separating himself from the Galatians. And Paul calls him out on it because essentially what he was doing is, is though Peter believed the gospel in his head, he didn't grasp it in his heart because he was acting differently than what the gospel called him to act. Does that make sense? Cool. And so he calls him out on it. He comes out bluntly, and he confronts him, and... I'm essentially going to steal this from a guy named Tim Keller. But Tim Keller says that the reason that this happened is because the gospel is slippery. Now, you might be thinking, what? That doesn't sound right. Why would the gospel be slippery? And he goes on to explain it like this. He goes, uh, there are two different ways something can be slippery. First, the object itself is slippery, right? You grab onto a wet bar of soap, it slips from your hand, right? And then the other way something can be slippery is if your hands are greasy, if your hands are dirty, if your hands are the thing that's slippery. And so, obviously, the gospel within itself isn't slippery, but our hearts and our hands don't always grasp it right. And that's the reason Paul goes into this next section where he starts talking about one of the fundamental truths of the gospel. And the reason I'm telling you this this morning is because this morning I want us to look at this truth of the gospel and be reminded of it and be reminded of what it means for us now. But first we'll look at what it means first for the church of Galatians and for Peter. A lot of people, um, like the scholars or the translators, um, will either, they'll either say that this section is in quotations, as in this is what he said to Peter, or they'll say this is kind of a paraphrase, but he's actually talking to the church again, because he's writing a letter. Does that make sense? And, and so... Either way, whatever's going on, whatever Paul is saying, what he's saying, whether it's to Peter directly or to the church, um, it has significance for us this morning as we're looking and um, understanding the gospel. Because, like he said, the gospel is slippery. We can get it in our heads. We can go, oh, okay, that's an easy concept to grasp. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. If I repent and put my trust and faith in him, I am saved. Right? But then what often happens, right? We know it, but we don't live it. We don't act like it. We don't understand it fully enough to, to, to grasp it. And so this morning, as we look through this text, and I'm going to dive into it now, I promise. I feel like I've been long winded so far. Um, as we dive into it, we're going to be looking at a couple um, things about the gospel that encourage us and move us towards. I don't know, it's, it's as if we're kind of washing our hands a little bit, so it's a little less slippery. That makes sense? We'll go with that for now. All right. Starting in verse 
15. You can bump up my slide. Oh, there's no one back there. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I turned around and whoop. No, it's fine. This is cool. It's cool. Um, okay. <laughs> Starting in verse 15. <clears throat> we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So stop right there. Let's, what, is, what does Paul mean by Gentile sinners? It's not meant to be like a derogatory statement. He's not saying those Gentile sinners. But what he is saying is, and he's referring to him and Peter. He's going, me and Peter are both born of Jewish descent. We are practicing Jews at birth, unlike anyone else who wasn't. So anybody else who wasn't a practicing Jew, following the ceremonial laws, following the Mosaic covenant, doing the sacrificial system, anyone who was outside of that would have been considered a Gentile sinner because they were not doing those. They weren't practicing being a Jew, right? And so he's just stating it as a matter of fact. And he goes on and he says, Yet, despite that, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And so he is essentially going like, he's saying this to us. And he's saying this to the church of Galatians. He's going, even though we are both of Jewish descent, we are no different than the Gentiles because the Gentiles were saved by Christ, and we are saved by Christ. And so he's reminding them that they are not justified by these ceremonial laws. And he's going to unpack it further. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Um, and essentially when he's saying justified, what that means, that term, is essentially to be counted as righteous, right? And a lot of people will, like, the first thing we generally think of when we think of being righteous is being good, right? Like, being a good person, doing good, right? But righteousness here doesn't mean that. What it means is, is that in that day and age, to be justified would mean to be moved from a state of being uh, in the wrong to being in the right, uh, relationally speaking, right? So, like, if you owed a debt to someone, you were not right with them. You were not righteous with them. But if you paid the debt, then you were put into right standing with them, right? And so when he's talking about righteousness then, he's saying that we practice these ceremonial laws as, as Jewish people. And we did these acts, but they never made us righteous. They never brought us into another state. And he'll explain what he means by that further on in the text. But the first point we need to understand is that righteousness is relational. It's relational in the sense where if we are to stand righteous, say, before God, the only way this is going to happen is through Christ. Because we ourselves can't do it. We can't be good enough. And really, the ceremonial and the mosaic and all those laws will be used to, to reveal that. 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Essentially, what he's saying here when he says this is he's answering what they would have, like he's kind of uh, having a conversation with himself in a way where he's like, this is how they would object, right? Right? They would say, okay, so if we don't practice these ceremonial laws, Paul, 
Does this mean that Jesus, who was a Jew, is in sin because he's telling us to not practice these laws anymore, therefore we're in sin as well? Is that what he's saying? He's saying, no, that's not the case. And really what he's trying to say is, is what is the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law was to reveal to the Jews and to the rest of the world and to ourselves that, what? We cannot follow the law. The law acts as if uh, it's like a... I don't know, like an MRI machine. I've heard a pastor use that as an expression of God's law. It's there to reveal to us that we are sick. It's there to reveal to us that we need help. We can't do it. And if you go through and read the whole Old Testament, what I love about the Old Testament is that it's just brutally honest about the heroes of the Bible. They're never perfect. Never. Abraham was a doubter. David was a murderer and, you know got around with the ladies, if you know what I'm saying. Like, he was not perfect. And what that reveals to us, and then the Jewish people as a nation also, what is the Old Testament about? All right, guys, here's the law. Follow it. No. Okay, golden calf. Okay, didn't follow it. All right, I'll give you a king. You want a king? You can have a king. But it's going to be the king you want, not the one you uh, deserve. Oh, he failed. All right. Oh, you're going to split up now? As a, oh, so now you're two nations? And we just keep on falling, and you keep on falling, and you keep on falling, because why? Because the law uh, was in essence a revealer to the fact that by human nature we cannot earn righteousness, right standing with God on our own. We can't do it. And that's what the gospel tells us. The gospel invites us in to be a bunch of failures. Do you ever feel like you have to perform and do well, and if you don't, so-and-so won't like you, or maybe... um, I know I struggle with this, right? Um, if I sin, and I know it, I instinctively turn away from God. I don't, I'm, I'm nervous to pray. I'll be like, no, I don't want to pray. I don't want to. Because I assume in my heart that he's mad at me. But is that the case? It would be the case if the righteousness I was using there was of my own righteousness. But is it? No. The truth of the gospel is, is that the righteousness that I now have in Christ is Christ's righteousness perfect? Because the other thing that the law does is it reveals to us that only God himself in the person and work of Christ could fulfill it. Because he came down and did it. He nailed it. He was perfect. And so that's why the law is there, and that's what Paul is arguing here. He's going, we cannot be justified on our own. Even though we were practicing Jews, Peter, we can't be justified on our own. And just like the Gentiles, we had to be justified outside of the law outside of our own efforts, outside of our own works. Verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Essentially, when he says that he died to the law, is he saying that he was no longer dominated by the law? And I forgot to mention this part, but the law within itself is not bad right? It's not. The law is good because it's a reflection of who God is. It's a reflection of his character. And it's a, a call for people to um, be separated and, and follow God's standing. The problem isn't the law, right? The problem is the fact that we can't follow it. We can't do it. And so when he says that he died to the law, He's saying that he's no longer dominated by this fact that he has to live up to it. Because why? 
Because Jesus lived up to it. Because if I am justified in Christ, if I am a Christian, if you are a Christian this morning, you are justified not by your ability to do good things, not by your ability to live up to some standard of being a good Christian and what Christians are supposed to live by. You're not justified by that. If you fall on your face, you're not out of standing with God. You're not out of favor with God. Because when he sees you, he sees his perfect son. Because if you are in Christ, you get his righteousness. You get put in right standing with him. And it's not because of your action. It's because of his perfect action. Right? The next verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in, or the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When Paul says this very, like, if you've been a Christian for long enough, you're familiar with this verse. When Paul says this, he is in essence saying to Peter, to uh, probably himself, to the church in Galatia, to us this morning, that if you are in Christ, you have been crucified with him, meaning that you've been freed, yourself has been put to death and reborn. Christ lives in you now. You are no longer required to follow a law that you couldn't follow in the first place. Right? And let's go back to Peter for a second. Peter, when Paul opposed Peter, it wasn't as if Peter somehow wasn't a Christian anymore or that he didn't understand the gospel. He got it, right, in his head. He understood it. But he fell away in his heart and in his actions because he, he was still trying to grasp it. It had slipped from his grip. And so Paul had to come along and call him out for it and say, hey, no, we are not justified by our actions. Therefore, we don't need to follow these ceremonial laws, Peter. And by you doing it because you're you the big bad apostle, you're leading everyone else astray. So stop it. Remember the truth of being justified not by my own actions, but by Christ's. And <clears throat> Peter... Kind of like me, first got married, right? He understood it in his head, but he didn't yet get it or grasp it in his heart. Because why? The gospel's slippery, right? Our hands are greasy. Our hands are dirty. It slips. We misunderstand. We fall away. We start acting as if we are not identified in Christ anymore. And there's two parts to this, uh, this verse 20, all right? He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is... I who no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. Right? So the first part of the passage is passive. I did nothing. Christ did all the work for me. But what's the next part of the verse say? I have been... Oh, sorry, I read that again. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's the reason... uh, Here's what you need to get out of this sermon this morning. Ready? If our righteousness is found in Christ and Christ alone, if we are in Christ and we were uh, 
reborn and crucified with Christ, and he now lives in us, the actions we now do, the, the life we now live, isn't a performance so that he keeps hold of me. It's a performance because he already has me. Does that make sense? And so if that's the case, our identity is no longer in our uh, good deeds. Like, uh, in Christ, Jeremy is more than just a police officer, right? He's more than that. He is a blood-bought son of God, adopted into the family. And so we live our lives not defining ourselves by what we do. We live no longer defining ourselves by the type of family we have. We no longer define ourselves by, the, by those things because what happens when we do? They'll eventually fail us. They'll eventually let us down. They'll eventually not add up to the expectations we put on them. And that's where worry and anxiety come in because we're trying to be righteous by our own account or we're trying to put righteousness on something that isn't meant to have that righteousness put on it. Does that make sense? And so if our foundation starts with Christ, if our foundation starts with our identity, our identity being found in him and in him alone, it affects every aspect of our lives. Our whole lives change. It's no longer about us doing good. You know, like I, you know, I, I got a busy schedule and I spent most of my week working and I only really had a little bit of time to like prep this sermon. And, and as I, like yesterday, I got the full day just to kind of finish this up. And I always, I always get nervous before I preach. I always do. There's just no getting around it. And, and, and I always get anxious and I always worry. And what I'm discovering is that anxiety and that worry is stemmed on the fact that I am putting my righteousness or my hope in the fact that if I don't perform well enough, I won't be pleasing to God. I won't be, I'll let you guys down because like you're paying me to be your intern and I'm going to come up here and give you a garbage sermon, right? If I'm putting my hope in that, this is not going to work. But if I put my hope in Christ, if I trust him and I put my faith in him as I am called to as a Christian, I'm going to come up here and I'm going to preach to the best of my ability and God's going to do what God's going to do, right? And so for you guys this morning, the encouragement or the point is that you believe the gospel up here. You know it. How is it affecting the way you're living? Are you living as a blood-bought son of God or are you still a slave to the law? Do you go, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because I go to church on Sunday. I'm a Christian because I wear nice clothes. I'm a Christian because I'm white and I'm a Republican and I live in Montana. I'm a Christian, right? Is that how we identify ourselves? Or is it, I'm a Christian because Christ was crucified and made me a righteous son of God. Not because I'm good, but because he's good. And if we identify ourselves in that truth, in the gospel, it affects how we live the rest of our lives. It affects how we deal with the insecurities and the sin in our lives that we so badly want to be rid of. It affects everything. And it all starts with us holding on to this truth. I am a blood-bought son of God. That's where I start. I don't start with, I went up to the altar one day and prayed a prayer. No. Because who's it focused on? My action, my ability, my doing. 
But it's not my doing. It's his. And he did it perfectly. And another thing that we can get out of this sermon is Paul is teaching the church right now. He's teaching them to grasp deeper truths about the gospel. This means that we as Christians need to be willing to grow and learn. We haven't figured it out. Um, You know, to quote Tim Keller again, he essentially says that if um, you think you got the gospel handled, you don't have it handled at all. It's when you begin to realize that I don't really grasp it that you are kind of maybe beginning to grasp it. Does that make sense? And so... We need to be willing to get into God's word. We need to be willing to learn and pray and do fellowship and go to classes and and learn about these things. Because it deepens our understanding. And if it deepens our understanding, then it needs to reflect into how we live our lives. It needs to affect us. We're not Christians just because we come to church on Sunday. We're not Christians just because we're, you know, white Republican conservatives, right? Just because I'm from a small town in Montana, I'm a Christian. That's not it. Might be a part of it, but that's not the reason. Your reason is found in Christ and him crucified on the cross for your sins. It needs to start with the gospel. The gospel affects a Christian for the rest of their lives. It's not just, I got saved, I believe the gospel, let's move on to the deeper things. No, no, no. You're wrestling with the gospel for the rest of your life. Um. So the encouragement here and the challenge for you guys is, well, first let me, uh, I'll give you an example of what I mean um, by us living in this new identity in Christ. You guys are familiar with a guy named Augustine, right? Big saint of the church. Uh, most of his writings are, well, very crucial to the church. Like he, he's a big deal, okay? And post before Augustine was a Christian, it was said, um, <clears throat> let's just say that he uh, was a, historians say he was addicted to lust. All right? Let's just go with that. All right? And after he got saved, um, there is a story that goes like this. He was walking down the street, and an old fling of his came up to him, an old, old lady that he was, uh, well, you get the point. She came up to him, and she goes, hi, Augustine, how you doing? All right? She's, Hello. And Augustine's all cordial, and he's nice, and he goes, hi, how you doing? Good to see you. And, you know, he's nice and polite, but then he, he walks away. And as he's walking away, she goes, maybe she, he doesn't know who I am. Because she was used to seeing him with a little drool on his mouth when she walked up, right? But he, that wasn't the case. And so he, she goes, Augustine, don't you know who I am? It's me. And he goes, yes, I know who you are, but it's not me anymore, Right? He has been crucified with Christ. He has died to that self in him, and he's no longer held captive by the lust of his heart because now his heart is held captive by Christ and him crucified for his sins. And that's his identity now. And so now he lives a life that is other than what he used to live. And that's the encouragement for you this morning. Know the gospel and let it affect your life because it does. It changes everything. Everything. How you deal with broken down tractors, how you deal with uh, investments, how you deal with your kids, how you deal with your families, how you deal with everything is affected by this foundational truth of Christ. And so I just want to encourage you guys with that this morning. I want you guys to not be me in my first year of marriage, right? I, I knew 
but I didn't know. I knew that I was married, but I, I didn't really understand it or grasp it. And honestly, 10 years in, I'm still, I'm getting there, I hope, maybe. Ask my wife, maybe she'll tell you otherwise. Um, but remember the gospel. Remember that Christ is, he, he gave you his righteousness. You are now in right standing with him. You are in the family of God, and that affects how you live your life every day. You should get up every morning and go, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh by faith in Christ. I'm not living by my own merits. I'm not living so that people will look up to me. I'm not living so that I look good to others. I'm living for him. And if I'm living for him in faith, no matter what I do, I'm going to do it to his glory, and I'm going to be satisfied because my satisfaction doesn't fall on my actions. It falls on his. He becomes my treasure, right? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We ask now that you would just put the gospel on our hearts. Remind us that our righteousness is no longer found in ourselves. We are no longer called to follow these rules and laws because all those rules and laws do is reveal to us our broken heart and our need of you. Reveal to us that we need you. Reveal to us that our foundational truth is found in you and in you alone. It's in your beautiful name we pray.